At the start of a new year, there is a lot of excitement and energy around setting goals. What about now? What if you are off track for the goals you set in January? Are you supposed to wait until next year to reset? What if you keep setting goals but not achieving your goals? What is the difference between goal setters and goal achievers? These questions inspired me to create the Elite Achievement Goal Setting Series. I'm launching this series this summer. If you want to be one of the first to know when this series launches, head over to my website, kristenburke.com, and sign up to receive my breakout plan. I'll be sharing updates and details later this quarter. Hey, Goal Achievers. Welcome to the Elite Achievement Community. I'm Kristen Burke, your host and coach, here to demystify the goal achievement process. If you are ambitious and visionary, then let's get to work so you can maximize your potential. Hey, Goal Achievers. Welcome back to Elite Achievement. Kristen here, and today I have a special episode for you. In March, I hosted the Achieve Your Goals Instagram Live series. I created the series in celebration of Women's History Month and went live on Instagram weekly with guest experts to inspire you to achieve your goals this year. I am taking, well, actually, my team is helping me take a huge thank you to my virtual assistant, Sarah, and to my podcast producer, Elsie, for believing in my vision to put this podcast together. So my team and I are taking the highlights from the interviews with five women who coach, inspire, and empower others to launch businesses, grow their confidence, achieve their fitness goals, create and implement financial plans, and advance their careers, and combining these highlights into this podcast episode. If you want to hear more from each expert, you can head over to my Instagram, meet Kristen Burke, where you'll find the replay of the Instagram lives on my profile. One of the biggest goals I've ever achieved has been launching my business. I flirted with the idea of having a coaching business for years before I grew the confidence and courage to make my dream a reality. Our first expert, Jeannie Andreessen specializes in coaching women who are ready to grow from employee to entrepreneur. She hosts a business coaching program called the Solopreneur School. Join us as we talk about launching a business. How does someone take an idea that might be on her heart and turn it into a business? Yeah, honestly, when I think about that question, the first thing that comes to mind is talking about it. Because what women do, what we have the tendency to do is keep it all up here. And I'm sure we'll get to this at some point in our conversation, but this element of like perfectionism where we're almost nervous to say we have a dream outside of a certain plan. We're nervous to become vulnerable, I'd say, in that way, where we have a fear of rejection at times. And so I feel like just finally talking about it is the first step in telling somebody, I'm really thinking about starting my own business. And it sounds so simple, but it's so crucial. I actually wrote a post about it this past weekend about the first time I ever talked about wanting to start a coaching business with a friend. And it really happened organically. I wasn't planning on it, but coaching got brought up. And I said, I really could see myself doing that professionally and branching off on me do it. And she was incredibly supportive. And I just felt like a weight was lifted that I talked about it. Mm-hmm. So I feel like the first step is talking about it. Second step, this part is just what's nice about being in this day and age is we can find someone who's done it already. And yeah. although sometimes we get a little salty if we see somebody that's out there creating the business that we want to create, to me, what that is, is inspiration that you can do it too. If someone else has started a business that you want to start, that means that you can do it too. And it means that there's a market for it. If you see somebody else that has almost the exact same thing, service you want to offer, it means, and they're successful, it means people want it. So there's a market for it. And that is, you don't really have to do as much market research if you see somebody doing it. 
And then I would say like the third part is just outlining what this looks like. So start jotting down what it looks like for you, who you enjoy serving, what are you offering, what's exciting to you. We get sometimes focused more and driven more by what sells and what we see could be selling. And I think getting away from that and saying, let's just envision you can sell anything you want. What do you want to offer? What does that look like? What lights you up more than anything else? And really focusing on that. Would you say that the mindset is one of the things that you found holds women back from launching their businesses or what else holds women back from launching their businesses? Yeah. I mean, I think the mindset is a big one because it's an identity shift. You are going, Mm -hmm. especially somebody like me, where I was at a company, maybe we worked for the same place, different cities, very different cities, but we worked for the same place. And I was somebody who was known for a certain thing for nine years. And what I had in my heart is I wanted to create content. I loved to write. I was not leveraged at all for my writing in my previous career, but in my heart and like in my soul, I would call myself a writer. And it's this idea that there's an identity shift that is going to take place. And you're almost like killing off your old identity because you're like, I'm now a business owner. I'm a writer. I have to show my face on something like this and sell my services. And it's so easy to get hard on yourself and to put yourself down to say, I can't do that when that's not true. We just have to figure out how to get you to take on that new identity. So a lot of it definitely is mindset. Another piece of it is not entirely being clear on the business that you want to start. And that part is really hard when you're not talking about it. Verbal processing, this is why coaching is so effective, is because for the first time, you're able to verbally process with somebody who has only has your best interests at heart and no other interests other than you following what you want to do. And it's being able to verbally process, this is what I want and this is what I don't. And to be able to do that without having 10 other people telling you what's right to do and what you should be doing and where the money is becomes an opportunity to find clarity in the business that you want to start. So I would say those are the things that really hold people back. It's this like identity shift of putting themselves out there and also not even being sure of the exact business that they want to start. Another roadblock that comes up a lot is this belief that I don't have time. How do you coach people to find the time or take the time to launch their business and execute on their goals? Yeah, I mean first by not feeding into that excuse and second by saying, great, well, this business is not going to build itself. So what does this time look like? If we were to find time, where would we maybe stumble upon it? And it does take shifting and recognizing priorities. There are certain things that we don't need to be spending our time on that we do. And there are certain opportunities where you absolutely can take two hours and get a lot done in that time with starting your business. So that's my advice is recognize what time you do have and protect it. So if it's Saturday mornings from 9 a.m. to noon, and you know that Saturday mornings are that time that is like your sacred time, the only time that you have to devote to building this business. I would also say jot down what you want to accomplish during that time. So that when that time comes, you're not like, uh, I have no idea. It's like, no, get yourself a plan. But I also am a believer in just showing up. So if you show up at 9 a.m. and you sit there for three hours, fine. I, don't, I would not encourage that. But it's like, it's showing up at the time that you say you're going to. And also making sure that you have certain actionables. You know what you want to accomplish. You have certain goals that you want to check off that day, whether it's watching YouTube videos, because a lot of business ownership is that, or if it's saying, I'm going to contact 10 people and see if I can get three on my calendar to tell them about what I'm doing. It's about setting those goals in place so that you know whether or not 12 o'clock hits, if you achieved that, or if you just hung out on your phone or watch television or something instead. So my advice would be to find that time. I would also say in a pandemic, this is the part where I'm like, I really believe launching a business during the pandemic. People have been like, you're so brave. And I'm like, I can't imagine not doing it during the pandemic because right now, so many people are working from home. Guess what? That saves an hour a day, usually minimum on a commute. 
So all of a sudden I found one hour that you did not have at this time last year. And that's one hour every single day. So it's five days a week. So it's five hours that we just found. And so it's saying you have this opportunity right now where you do have a little bit more time. You can leverage. I'm just saying if you get a lunch break and you're eating lunch, you can also say that that is an hour that you're devoting to your business. Still give 100% at your job. But in terms of finding time, I believe right now more than ever when we're working remotely, saving time on commuting, and also able to leverage that time, that work time that you have, that work day, and the downtime you might have in it, that's how you find time to get started. What are some of your strategies or go-tos for navigating fear? Because we're all going to feel it. So how do we navigate that fear? Yeah, first is recognizing exactly what it is, which is knowing that you are afraid of something and to articulate what that is, to say like, what is it that I'm truly afraid of? And getting to the bottom of it is so incredibly beneficial. So to say like, I am afraid of putting myself out there. Well, why? And taking it to the next level as much as you can to determine what you're truly afraid of. Are you afraid of being criticized? Because a lot of times it comes down to that. Are you afraid of, again, I've just read Think and Grow Rich. So it says one of the main drivers of fear is this fear of poverty. So are you afraid of losing all of your money and all of a sudden you're on the streets? And it's like, when you recognize sometimes these fears can be incredibly irrational and the criticized one, I always joke, I'm like, well, if you are afraid to show up strong on your social media because you're scared that somebody is judging you for doing so, what if I told you I was judging you as a business coach for not showing up strong on your social media? <laughs> and I make that joke, but it's kind of like a joke within a joke where it's a little serious where you're going to be criticized anyway. And so if we really identify what is it that we're most afraid of and saying, well, what is greater than fear for me? So if I have a fear of being criticized, okay, well, at the same time, I have to put myself out there to make sure that this business succeeds. And there's that quote, and I want to say it's Eleanor Roosevelt, but I could be making that up, but like, do whatever you want to do because you're going to be criticized anyway. And it's true. And so it's saying, well, I want to put myself out there. And so if I'm afraid, what is greater? than that. What means more to me? So for me, what's more important to me than staying comfortable and staying in the spot of, again, I say comfort, but it's this idea that like you just aren't putting yourself out there, which it makes me incredibly uncomfortable thinking about it actually. But it's saying what is greater than fear for me? It's more important to me to follow my heart, to make an impact, to show other women that this can be done Just one more time, I want to say, if you want to start a business, get talking about it. It is so important to get it out of your head and into the heads of others. Start just getting it out there. Jot down, outline what you want to create. Get talking about it. Such a simple yet powerful concept. I remember each time I talked about launching my business, I gained clarity around what I wanted to do and who I wanted to serve. But most importantly, my confidence grew. Our next expert, Nicole Khalil, teaches a course called This is Confidence. Nicole's work centers around removing the roadblocks, biases, and challenges that trailblazing professional women face so they can thrive as their authentic selves. Well, let's start with a topic that I'm sure you could spend 30 minutes alone talking about. How do you define confidence? Yeah, you're right. I could probably talk for days on all of this. And and I will be honest, I've forgotten what the Webster's definition of confidence is at this point because I've created my own through my own observation, experience, research, reading, all that fun stuff. So my definition of confidence is when you know who you are, you own who you're not, and you choose to embrace all of it. So let me say it again a little quicker. When you know who you are, own who you're not, and choose to embrace all of it. And ultimately, choose to embrace all of you. That's my definition. So how do you coach or inspire people to really figure out who they are and who they're not? 
Yeah. So, I mean, that is a never ending ongoing journey. And, and the other thing too, is it changes and evolves as we as humans grow and evolve and change. So the first thing I want to be upfront about is that it is a journey. There isn't a destination point where we land and we're like, oh, I'm totally confident. Work is done. Never have to revisit this. Or I totally know who I am or own who I'm not. It is very much ongoing. I really like to start with the first part, which is the knowing who you are. And in my work, especially with women, I found we have a bit of a challenge, a little bit of a hard time coming up with all of the great things about ourselves, the things we feel confident in, the things that we can count on, the things that we do a little bit better than most or come in a little bit more naturally. For whatever reason, we tend to set those things aside and not talk about them very much. You're not focused on them very much. And so really the first step of confidence is reconnecting to those things about yourself, those unique talents, gifts, skills, opportunities, the things that make us, us. And to really do that from a place of confidence versus arrogance or bragging, I think in my work with women, I found we can pretty easily come up with three or four things that we like about ourselves. But when I try to get people to come up with a list of 30 things, that's where the real opportunity and challenge comes in. So I think sometimes we get a little sticky with this where there's two things that can seem contradictory, but both of them can be true at the same time. So what I mean by that is that you can focus on all the amazing things about yourself. You can acknowledge them. You can own them. You can share them. And you can still be growth-oriented. I think sometimes people go, well, you know, if I focus on all my positive things, then I'll stop working on myself or I'll stop getting better. And that is completely contradictory to my experience and observation is typically when people acknowledge the great things about themselves, they tend to become more growth-oriented. Well, in addition to not acknowledging the great things about yourself, what are some other things that women do that hold us back from being confident? Yeah, so lots of things, I'm sure. I have five what I call confidence derailers. They're the things that chip away at our overall confidence or knock us off track. It's sort of like when you have a home, you protect your home, you have a security system, you do certain things, get insurance, you're protecting yourself from the things that can do damage to your home. And these derailers are like those things. And what we need to do is trade, create basically a top-notch security system for our confidence. And so step number one is knowing what they are. So the five that I see that impact women the most, this is not the only confidence derailers. So just the five that I see impact women the most are perfectionism, expectation, we're supposed to do it all, have it all, be it all, and oh, by the way, look at what we're doing it. Head trash. I've heard that called like an inner critic as well. It's basically that voice that we all have inside of our brains that says things to ourselves about ourselves that are very rarely true, like fact-based mm -hmm. and never kind. So head trash. Then we've got overthinking or over-worrying or over-processing. I've heard you, Kristen, say over-ruminating, any of those. And ultimately, it's the over part that's problematic. Thinking is not a bad thing. Worrying can sometimes benefit us to a certain extent. Ruminating or processing is the over part that's problematic because what it does is it puts us in a position of inaction. We're so busy worrying, we're so busy thinking, we're so busy doing all those things, we're not doing anything. And inaction leads to regrets. Mm -hmm. So that's a big one. Judgment and comparison is the fourth big confidence derailer. And that has become even more so now that we have social media at our fingertips. The ability to judge ourselves and compare ourselves and judge others is just so easy in today's day and age. So that one is a big confidence derailer. It's that feeling of I'm supposed to be somewhere I'm not, or this person's further ahead of me, or this person's an idiot, or whatever might come to our heads when we're judging and comparing. And then finally, that fifth big confidence derailer is thinking that confidence is going to come to us from some sort of external source or in some sort of external way. Examples, validation, compliment, like 
or comments on social media, attention, promotions, achievements, income, success level, perfectly behaved kids, that we sort of think that if X happens, X being whatever your flavor is of looking for confidence externally, if X happens, then I'll feel confident. If I get that promotion, then I'll feel confident. If I make this amount of money, then I'll feel confident. If my kids are perfectly behaved, then I'll be confident. Like, if X, then I'll be confident. And that is a part of the language just asked backwards. The reality is, if you do it that way, you become addicted to that thing. It's sort of like if you want to be happy choosing drugs or alcohol. You might feel happy temporarily. You might feel euphoric in moments, but then it wears off, it goes away, and then you feel even worse. And so you go and seek more of that thing to try to get happiness, and you become addicted. And the same is true if you choose any of those things to try to get confidence. So the equation, if X, then I'll feel confident, rarely ever works. And ironically, the opposite is typically what does work. If I'm confident, then I have a higher probability of X, right? If I'm a confident mother, then I have a higher probability of well-behaved kids. If I'm a confident employee or business owner, then I have a higher probability of success or income. It really applies with everything. So just that fifth confidence derailer of looking for confidence out there as opposed to in here. I noticed that there's a common roadblock when it comes to achieving our goals. And the roadblock is, I don't have time. A lot of times as women, we're very quick to say, I don't have time, when really, we might not be confident because we can probably start to carve out a lot of time to do the things that are important to us. So how do you help your clients start to notice the difference between, I need to grow my confidence to achieve my goals versus manage my time differently to achieve my goals? Yeah. So first, all of us hide behind something is like our go-to excuse. And it feels legitimate to us, right? So I, like you, hide behind my calendar all the time. I don't have time. I don't have time. Like I say that sometimes when I have time. It's just such a go-to response. Some people hide behind their money or like, I don't have enough. Or some people hide behind their family or their relationship or their... We all do this. This is a very common thing. But to your point, it's not really any of those things that's limiting us. It's typically something totally different. And we're just using that as our acceptable reason. I'm a big believer in choice management over time management. Even just reframing it in my brain has made a big difference. Because like failure, time is neutral. And it's fixed. We all have the same amount of it. We all have 60 minutes an hour. We all have 24 hours in a day. We all have seven days a week. I've never met anybody who's managed an extra 25th hour in a day. Like, can you imagine though what we would do with all that extra time? Honestly, what we would do is we would say we don't have enough time because uh, that's our go-to. But my point is we're not managing time. We're managing the choices we make with the time that we have. And Sometimes easier than others, I've really gotten to a point where I have challenged myself to say, what's the best choice or what's the next best choice or what's the best choice for me in this circumstance? But it forces me to acknowledge that I have a choice. So a lot of things in the last year have happened to us and we don't have a choice in those things happening, but it's been a really good opportunity for me to practice. Okay. I have a choice of how I respond. I have a choice how I react. I have a choice of what I do with my time here. I have a choice in how I prioritize. And I think that that's important, but it's also confidence building because it leaves the ownership with us. If I don't have time or have too many things or I don't have choice, then I'm a victim to what's happening or I'm a victim to time or my schedule or my priorities. And I really like this reframe because it puts me back in the driver's seat. It puts me back as the decider. And that, of course, builds confidence. And then you're really good with this, with the people that you work with, Kristen, but really continuously and consistently checking in, what are my priorities? 
and is where I'm spending or investing my time align with what I say is important. So we all like to hide behind certain things, but those things also tell us what really matters. You can tell me what your priorities are, but if I look at where you're spending your time, that's where your priorities really are. Another roadblock, especially as I coach and work with women who have client-based businesses, and these women are very passionate about the work that they do, but they have to sell a product, a service, or promote themselves. And I think that skill set requires a lot of confidence. So what strategies do you have to help individuals that need to sell themselves or sell a product? How do you become more confident? really take a deep step back and ask, who am I in this? What is my value proposition? Coach told me this many years ago. What's your DNA? What makes you different, new, and attractive to your clientele? The same doesn't sell. And I think we have a tendency, especially when we're new at something, to look around and be like, oh, I'm going to do it like that person. I'm going to do it like that person. And what we end up creating is problematic for two reasons. It's more of the same, and it's not us. It's not authentic. So really checking in, what makes you different? What makes you new and attractive? And ultimately, who are you? What are your strengths? What are your superpowers? What are your unique abilities? And then how do you bring those things to the table? You're going to show up more confidently because you're playing your strengths. You're going to connect and build rapport and relationship better because being yourself You're not trying to pretend to be something or someone that you're not. There's that expression I hear a lot in business, shake it till you make it. I'm not a big fan of it. And it may sound like semantics, but my flip on that is choose it till you feel it. Choose confidence over and over and over again until the feeling arrives. I think sometimes we think confidence is a feeling that we either have or we don't, or it comes to us or it doesn't. And that's unequivocally not the case. And one of the greatest gifts I've had in coaching and working with so many women is to be able to witness when people, when women choose confidence, even when the feeling isn't there, even when the evidence maybe says they shouldn't. Choose it until you feel it. It's so important that we recognize we are going to face fear on our goal achievement journeys and need a way to embrace our fear. Our next expert, Bridget Joy, encourages us to navigate fear by doing it scared. She owns Key Life Fitness and Training and is passionate about helping women create the best versions of themselves while believing they are more than enough. Why is it so important that we embrace fitness and workout? You only have one body. There's many things that you can do to that body and Working out is not just so that you can look a certain way. This isn't necessarily the end goal, but working out can relieve stress, can prevent diseases, help you to prevent osteoporosis. As we get older, especially even as women, it's even harder to fight off disease, to fight off lack of energy, immune support. All of those things are necessary. So working out is just for total health, for mind, body, and soul. Working out allows you to kind of achieve something and give you that extra boost to say, hey, I accomplished this today. Now, let let me go down the rest of my list and see what else I can accomplish. Or, hey, I'm focusing on myself today. This is important because if you don't pour into yourself and you're not healthy, you can't serve the rest of the world, your kids, your husband, your friends, your family. So it's for you. Working out is just so that you can be the best version of yourself. And that's just part of the the complete package of making sure that you're healthy and well, your well-being is important. I work with a lot of ambitious women and they're busy, they're building their businesses, they're serving their families. And one of the excuses that we all use from time to time is I don't have time. So how do you help your clients integrate fitness and working out into a busy schedule? Yeah. So a lot of times I tell my clients that we set an appointment, right? So we set an appointment to go to the doctor, to go to the dentist, the eye doctor, and we sit and we wait for them in the waiting room. And that's maybe three hours of our day. So if we can do that, we can set an appointment for 30 minutes of our time 
each and every day. So if that's you putting it in your calendar and it's a non-negotiable, like your day has to have that just as well as you eat, just as well as you feed your kids, just as well as you go to work or you work on your business, you have to be able to implement whether it's 10 minutes or you do increments and say, hey, look, every time I go to the bathroom, I'm going to do 10 jumping jacks. Whatever it takes for you to get some type form of fitness into your life is important, but you have to set an appointment and you have to make it a priority. How does mindset impact our overall fitness journey? Mindset is big because there's those people that can just go in and do a workout. But once you finish that workout, you feel accomplished, not just because you worked out, not just because you sweat, because you actually set a goal, you went and you did it and you accomplished it. But when you're dealing with fitness, the mindset, it should never be perfection, but more so progression. And if we take that approach to it, you kind of grow with your body, with your fitness. You're able to learn and grow just like you do in life. Because sometimes we kind of bog down our brains and our minds with the fact like we have to look this way. We have to do this. We have to finish it today. And if it doesn't get done today, then the world ends. But the mindset of fitness, just learning the changes of your body, you're going to be tired some days. You're going to have to adapt. And just having that mindset to be able to say like, this is for me. This is important. And whatever it brings with this journey, I'm able to embrace it, able to grow with it. And that can apply to everyday life. So being able to have the mindset, like, I know this is important to me. I know this is important because I'm important, right? And if mm-hmm. I'm important, I can pour to other people and my purpose here on life is fulfilled. But if I don't commit to something, it's harder for me to commit to everything. So fitness allows you to approach it and say, hey, like, I can do this. It gives you that extra oomph that you need to kind of carry on throughout your day, throughout your life, because you accomplish things, you set goals, you mark them, you hit them. And if you don't set them, you keep going. We don't give up. So it can kind of carry to everything else in life as well. You mentioned the progression, not perfection. And so let's talk about that for a moment because I think that also can impact our ability to achieve our fitness goals or not achieve our fitness goals. So how does perfection hinder our ability to achieve our fitness goals? Yeah, sometimes we kind of map, social media has made this even more challenging, but we kind of map what our end goal is based on what we see or based on what we compare to others or based on how we were when we were 18. We have to be realistic. 18, I would say, oh my God, I want to be skinny. This point in my life, I want to be 18 skinny, right? So it's just the reality of it is like your body grows, you change. Everything changes as you continue to grow older and we're able to adapt to that. So, I mean, I think that it's more so that we have to enjoy the journey. And a lot of times we just want to start something and get to the end goal and be done with it. But with your body, your body changes over time. So I can be extremely fit now. And then a year from now, I hit a certain age and then you may be going through menopause, whatever that is. You have to be able to adjust and say, okay, like at this point in my life, where am I? Where are my goals for right now? Let's achieve those goals. Next year, that goal may change. Things may happen. You might become stressed out. And now your goal is to work out to decrease stress. So the progression portion of it is, is where I am today, How can I be better tomorrow? And I always tell my clients, every single day, our goal is to be 1% better. Not to be perfect, not to reach that goal tomorrow, but to be 1% better. And that can mean for you waking up with a better attitude or I got 30 minutes more of sleep. Now I am Mm -hmm. 1% better than I was yesterday. So the goal is not to be perfect every single day. You're going to have days that you don't want to work out. You don't want to eat right. You want to eat cake all day. And that is open (laughs) Right? Because we have those days. That's that's being realistic. But tomorrow, we're 1% better because it's about progression. It's about not perfection, but about being better every single day and recognizing how we can be better and being cognizant of that. If you miss one day, one workout, it's not over. It's all about that consistency and getting back and starting fresh and 1% better tomorrow, which is fantastic. So one of the things I've learned, Bridget, in my work specifically with women is that a lot of times women have a hard time giving themselves credit for the work that we've done. How do you think we can celebrate and support one another more on our fitness journeys? I think setting small goals and being able to celebrate that, whether that be weekly or daily. So 
for my clients, because I'm from Miami, so I used to have clients back home. So a lot of my old clients and present clients, we have like a Facebook group. And so sometimes we post in there like, how much water did you drink today? That's a small victory. Because mm-hmm. days that you want to drink soda, yeah, you might. But today, if your goal is, hey, I want to get a gallon down and we're doing water checks or we're saying, look, did you might work out today? No, I'm tired. No, I'm tired. No, I'm we're checking in with each other that's able to celebrate small victories because if I check in with you and like, hey, Kristen, did you run that three miles you were talking about yesterday? And you're like, no, no, I, no, I'm going to do it tomorrow. But I'm going to check with you tomorrow and say, hey, mm-hmm. how's just three miles go? Not because you're trying to push them, but more so because you're just like, hey, I just want to see how you're doing. Because somebody caring about you is checking in and then we're like, oh my God, yeah, you did just three miles. Awesome job. So just being able to have accountability, but more so like, just a relationship with someone and be just checking in and making sure like, hey, I want to make sure you're okay. So often we wait for fear to be eliminated before we take action. And it's quite the opposite. We need to take action in order to eliminate that fear. So what about with your business? You have a fitness business. 2020 was a wild year for everyone in the fitness industry. How did you, Bridget, navigate fear in your own business? I'm truly blessed because I was working a full-time job when the pandemic started. And then I just said, you know what, I'm going to do fitness full-time now. So it was a great eye-opener for me because I did it scared. Honestly, it was kind of just like you have this set income. You know this is coming in, right? And when you run your own business, it's like, I don't know. Like, uh, you know, that insurance and that. The direct deposit hits, but your business, you're like, oh, wait, did I pay myself today? So (laughs) it was kind of a blessing because I was able to kind of see how amazing it could be if you just believe in yourself, right? Mm. So it took a lot for me and my friends and my family will tell you, like, I'm that person that's like right here. The decision is here. And I'm like this, wait, 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 no, 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 I'm not ready. No, wait. I'm here, but the decision for me to just go forth and say, look, use your talents, use your gift, use your passion Mm -hmm. and go into business during the probably most difficult time possible taught me a lot about myself, taught me a lot about being able to just believe in yourself and believe in your gifts and walk in it. Just do it scared. Don't give up. I struggle now still, you know what I mean? With the fact of like, hey, am I doing the right thing? And that's being honest with myself and just being like, you know, it's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be easy, but this is what you want to do. This is what you're supposed to be doing. So you do it. Do it scared every day. I don't care if you're scared every day, every new opportunity, you still got to keep going because the lives and the people that are waiting on you to do it, you can't top that. So that's important. Setting small goals and celebrating small victories is a huge part of our goal achievement journeys and of implementing a financial plan. Our next expert, Chantel Bonneau, is a certified financial planner and author of the book, Finding Your Financial Type. She is passionate about serving her clients and educating individuals on the importance of financial planning. I know that a lot of people have financial goals. And where do you think, Chantel, someone can start when it comes to implementing a financial plan? Well, I'm sure this is obvious for anyone who follows you, but you have to start with your goals, right? If you don't know what you're trying to accomplish, what you're working toward, then it just becomes a math problem. And frankly, it's not any fun to think about money if it's not about what you're trying to accomplish. So many times I'll be meeting with a new client and they will say, I have this much in my 401k, this much in my bank account. And I'm like, awesome. So glad you know that, but take a step back. Tell me about you, right? What are we working toward? We're trying to buy a house, send our kids to college, give to charity. So before you start anything on a financial plan, try to get as much clarity as possible on what you are excited about and what you want out of your future just makes all the products and services fall into place, right? That becomes the easy part then. I resonate with that answer so much. I believe clarity is one of the characteristics of goal achievers and that we need to know what we want and ultimately why we want it. And so it sounds like the same is true when it comes to financial planning, 100%. So what holds people back from engaging in a financial plan or even from meeting with a financial advisor? 
Yeah, I mean, the same thing that holds us back from everything, right? The same reason you start the diet next week, the same reason you decide to apply for a job or quit your job and start a business next year is number one, the fear of the unknown, of course. Number two is people feel like they have to give up everything to be financially stable. They don't realize what they're going to gain by feeling the confidence and the progress that they make and really putting all their effort toward the things that they want most in life, which is why you start with the goals. And then I think the top reason is people don't know where to start. They start Googling, they get lost in analysis paralysis, they're so overwhelmed, they read so many conflicting ideas, and it's really, really challenging. And so that's what holds people back is not taking it. It's the one time to take a really selfish approach and only be thinking about what's important to you, not what everyone else in the world defines as important to them financially. Yeah, it can be very overwhelming because so many people have different opinions on what financial security looks like and so many people have different approaches. And so if you're new to setting a financial goal or setting a financial plan, it can be so overwhelming figuring out where to start. And so if you're recommending habits for people to build, what are some of the best financial habits people can build on their journey of achieving their financial goals? Anything that is worthwhile takes consistency and it takes really good habits. Other than that, it's just pretty much luck, right? Or by accident. So the best habits that I think are important for a financial plan are number one, setting time to review, right? Calendar it like you would anything that's important to you. If it's once a month, once a week, every six months, every year, just scheduling time to really stop and think about what's going on, what progress you've made, what challenges and roadblocks you've had right? Taking the time to prioritize it. Secondly, make it foolproof. So if you decide to start saving toward your retirement plan or toward an education plan for your child, try and make it automatic, right? We all, I mean, myself included, if I every month had to wake up and decide how much I was going to save toward my future, I'm sure I would save less than I do, right? No one is perfect and you can't expect to have endless willpower. So making things automatic, I think is helpful for most people. If you're looking to establish a better relationship with money or redefine your relationship with money, what can you do to improve that relationship? I think you have to take real inventory of where you're at, right? At some point, you have to go through the experience of, of taking your head out of the sand and just acknowledging where you're at. What do you have? What interest rates? Do you have money in the bank? What do you bring in? What do you spend? Just to get a pulse of what's going on. And then based on your capacity and where you're at, You have to start building confidence, right? By making one piece of progress. It might be overpaying by $20 on that high interest rate credit card, right? It's not perfect. You're not out of the woods, able to retire tomorrow, but start building that self-esteem. Just like when you work out, the first time you go to the gym, you're really sore. It gets a little bit easier every time. So just get your building that positive momentum. Have you seen perfection show up in the financial planning process? And how do you coach clients? to take action when it's not going to be perfect. Yeah, it's one of the realities. It's actually really hard for me. I'm a definitely a type A, you know me, Kristen. I'm a type A <laughs> perfectionist-like person. And it's really hard because I chose in a profession where it's never perfect, right? It's always a moving target. And that's what keeps it fun. And that's what keeps it interesting. But it is always a moving target. And so you have to let go of that and really worry about progress, the trajectory that you're on financially, toward the things that are important to you. So I think that me revealing that to clients helps them kind of move past that, right? That unfortunately, there's nothing I can do to give them a report on their financial life and allow them permission to never again look at money, right? They're going to have to update it. It's like having children by the time they get, you know, you get a groove down, something changes, right? The same thing. We're dealing with so many variables, the market, pandemics, tax code changes, their life goals might change. They might have had a perfect plan and a perfect job and then COVID threw a wrench in it. So that's part of it is just accepting it's never going to be perfect, but that's okay. Nothing in life that's very worthwhile tends to be. So another roadblock when it comes to achieving our goals is fear. And I am sure that you experience fear through your client's eyes all the time. So what are some of the ways that you help people through either the fear of failing, maybe the fear that they're not going to retire, or even the fear of success. What if they do such a great job planning and they're incredibly wealthy? How do you help people embrace fear? 
Yeah, fear, I mean, obviously manifests itself in so many different ways. So you brought up a couple of really good ones. The first one is fear of failure. And if they never try, then they can't say that they made a mistake or regressed. So that's where it really is about just making that positive momentum forward and making tiny progress on your plan. Um, And some people have a perpetual bad relationship with money, right? They can get the biggest bonus in the world and somehow they're still in debt. It's just like their comfort zone for whatever reason. And, And so we have to work through that a little bit, right? On again, what is more important to them than whatever is really interfering with their financial stability. So I think that that's one thing that's important. If we do a good enough job on the goal setting, it can overcome a lot of that fear. And then you brought up another one, which is interesting, right? Fear of having too much money which not enough people have that problem, but it's a good one. It's a real one (laughs) where sometimes the decisions get bigger and it can get stressful. You feel like you have a lot to lose and that's a real thing too. So again, if everything goes back to what you're trying to accomplish, it just makes it a lot easier to not think in the form of numbers or in checking the box, but more about the progress that you're making If you're listening to this right now and you're in a relationship, what are some things that you recommend couples do to better understand one another when it comes to financial planning? Absolutely. So first of all, is if you are cringing as you just asked that question and you're thinking, oh my gosh, I would want nothing less than to talk to my spouse about that, get an advisor to have the conversation with the two of you. Let them be the bad guy asking the hard questions, right? So you can just work through it together. The the other things I would say is if one partner in a relationship is financially savvy, right? Or we perceive them to be, perhaps they're an accountant or an investment banker, or they do IT at a company that sounds like a financial company, which somehow makes you have the perception that they're financially savvy. Don't put all the pressure on them. Mm -hmm. Like, don't say, I don't have to help at all. My husband, my wife is good at this stuff, right? You should have that together. You should be talking about your goals together, right? Mm -hmm. You should work through your balance sheet and cash flow and really decide how you want to manage your money. Some people like to keep everything separate. That's great. Then you only really need to think about estate planning, making sure you're having insurance, you both have it. Your investment risk tolerance probably needs to be aligned if it's for the same goal. Other people want to combine everything. So it's really just about setting those goals together and being clear on, as a household, what decisions you can't not make together. Clarity plays a huge role in implementing a financial plan, and it serves us well as we strive to advance professionally. Our final expert, Leslie Griesel, is a trailblazer within her firm and teacher of leadership and growth strategies. She is on a mission to joyfully inspire and empower people to achieve results on purpose. If someone has a vision, Leslie, for where they want to go professionally, how should they start working towards that vision? What I've heard from a lot of women too is sometimes they're not even sure where to start with a vision. They might even say, I think I need one, but I'm not even sure what that looks like yet. So I just want to acknowledge to anyone that's listening to this that I personally think any form of a vision is a good form of a vision. (laughs) Sometimes people will have them written out, which is a great tool, vision boards, even just a mental image, or they actually have, okay, I know that next step, whether it's a role or I want that person's job, they have that much clarity. But I think the first thing is, is to find as much clarity as you can. There's been times in my career where I didn't really know how to define it except for a one-word statement or a one-sentence statement, rather. And to me, that gave me great clarity because there were ways I could describe that one sentence. So the clearer that vision is, the better, even if it's something short-term, like it could be in three months, in three years. The next thing is, depending on that timeline, whatever the relative timeline is, is to then back into what are really good milestones along the way. So is there new learning or training? Are there experiences I need to have? Or what are the building blocks that are going to position me or get me to that place? We already talked about this, but community and support is so important. So sharing it with people that are important in your lives, not only the vision, but also those milestones. So they can be your fan club and cheerleaders and help actually create an environment 
for your success. So that could be friends or family, just to know from a more of a social, emotional, mental place. But strategically in your career, it's also really important to not just share with friends and family, but share with people in your upline or mentors that are further advanced in their careers than you or have been in that place, been in that role or had that kind of success before. And sponsors. So I know you've talked about sponsors on your podcast before. Those are people that actually are in a position of power to do something about it. So they could help get you into programs, get you in front of other people, open doors in your career. So a community that knows about your vision and knows about your maybe intended pathway to get there. And then finally, I would say celebrate along the way, not just when it's achieved, which is a really big deal. I truly believe if you have a good vision and you really believe it, you will achieve it. But it's really important to measure the milestones along the way because I think when you look back, some of the milestones in the journey are just as enjoyable as achieving the vision itself. What, Leslie, do you think are some of the things that can hold women back from advancing in their careers? Yeah, a lot of times I think it's women themselves, ourselves that hold ourselves back. And it where it comes from is probably deeply rooted in many places. But I think the way it shows up in a career is women sometimes lack confidence to ask, ask for what they want, share that vision, put in for a promotion because they think maybe ambition is bad. How will I look? What does that say about my priorities? They think I haven't done enough in enough places, kind of that perfectionism where I have to know everything about everything before I can move to that next level or take the leap or go the next step. So really all of that is fairly negative, self-defeating thinking that prevents us from going after what we want. So I think we got to break it down and get real with ourselves that, by the way, these are tendencies. I'm definitely not speaking to all women, but I've seen thoughts that I've had, reading and learnings that I've had. But I think it's largely a lot of times ourselves and our limited beliefs. I love how you mentioned we've got to break it down. We've got to get real. We have to recognize some of these limiting beliefs. As you carved your own path, you built a path in a very well-respected firm. Were there limiting beliefs that you had to work through? And what did you do to work through those limiting beliefs? For sure. For sure, limiting beliefs. Because I think we all learn through role model, even since we're babies. And so you kind of go on what you see first. And then you have to break it down and define your own definition of what that means for you. The good news is we all have a really strong degree of personal power if we choose to tap into it. And so it's about kind of recognizing what's going on around me. What are the needs of the world or this organization or this business? And where can I give? And how can I make sure that I'm continuing to contribute and communicate that at a progressive level. And that required me to break down some mental barriers and self-defeating thinking and challenge the status quo in a lot of ways. But it also, I think, came with solution-oriented thinking. So if I saw a challenge or a problem, I wasn't trying to approach it in a way of victim or complaining, but rather, here's what I see and here's what I see could be a potential solution. And a lot of times that might have involved me (laughs) solving that problem. So (laughs) if I could bring that to the table or bring a suggestion, that might be seen and recognized. And that's kind of one of my favorite kind of career tips is if people are trying to grow or move up is act as if. So don't wait for someone else to give you permission, which I think a lot of people do. They're like, don't you see all these great things I'm doing? And aren't you going to tap me on the shoulder for that next level or that promotion or new opportunity? And what we got to do is speak up, but also behave that way. Like, you know what? I don't need somebody to tell me to not be more of a leader or to not show more of what I can do or to not step up so that I can do that now in the role I'm in. And then when I have the opportunity to advocate or a door opens, I can say, look, I've already been doing all of these things. So there's nothing stopping us from using our own mindset, personal power and actions to just go ahead and start moving the needle for ourselves in the ways that we can. Why do you think women won't promote some of their success in the business world? Well, oh my gosh, this might be an opinionated answer because there are a lot of studies or just even personally, like it's not what I would say, what I've kind of worked through is it's not my nature to do that. And why is it not my nature? I'm not really sure. 
is that this sense of, do I think I'm less valuable? No, of course not. I think I'm just as valuable or not more than, you know, some of my peers. I think there's a lot of fear there. We don't want to fail. We want to do well. So we kind of insulate ourselves. And when we do that, we are creating these barriers for ourselves at the same time. Like, I'm not going to take that risk or I'm not going to advocate because I don't want to look away I'm not. I don't want to set myself up for something I'm not. And I think this fear of wrong image is an issue that a lot of people got to deal with. How do you think perfection holds us back from advancing our careers? Well, again, I'm total in the perfectionist camp (laughs) to work through this quite a bit. I do think, again, it can serve you to a certain degree because I think an asset of perfectionism is you're kind of like thinking through all the details, right? Mm -hmm. So you're not sloppy and there are some good assets. So don't think perfectionism is all bad. But when it gets to the point where we know we're wrapped up in it, like, gosh, I'm obsessive about this topic, this issue, this project. And it's if you can take a step back and say, what do I just need to do to get it done? like what's necessary and then what's nice to do. It's a little bit of a trap because we often think what's nice is necessary. (laughs) But it's like, no, what's actually necessary to get it done? What purpose does it serve? And I think instead of thinking about how can I make this perfect, what's possible from this? So even that kind of thinking, I think, requires some time to step out of the grind of the everyday because we'll get caught in that perfectionism trap all the time where there's wasted time and energy and attention where you could have done something else. You could have had that strategy time. You could have had that personal development time, which probably has a bigger payoff than the piddly little things you were doing. What strategies do you have to help people navigate fear? Well, okay, let's just first admit we all have a problem, especially women, that fear is it's there. The good news is if you acknowledge it, you're like, okay, I have a fear. One of my big fears is fear of failure. I don't want to fail. Like, how could I not fail? <laughs> so that's how that perfectionism comes into play. Whatever the fear is, if you can define it, acknowledge it, I think that's step number one. And think about it as actually an ally. Like again, fear causes this hyper-awareness if you think about it. You know, you go back to that In true moments of fear, there's either the fight, the flight, or the freeze, right? And so I'm thinking about career path. It's like, well, am I going to fly away? Which is maybe I'll just go look for another job. I mean, it might be. It might be actually in some scenarios the right thing to do if you've exhausted all the other resources. To freeze, which I think a lot of people naturally do. They're like, well... I can't change that. I can't do anything about that. So I'm just going to settle. Or how can I fight? And sometimes it is a little bit of an uphill battle being a different person, a different role, a different type in the workforce or at an executive level. But I think back to this ally thought that it can be an asset because of its thoughtfulness. And if you really can identify it and say, how is it serving me? Because in certain ways, it is serving you. And then how is it not serving me? And a lot of times fear is built up beyond what it needs to be. It's I've heard this acronym, false evidence appearing real. Like a lot of times it is not real. It's made up in our minds. So maybe it's talking about it with a friend, a mentor, a coach and saying, here's what I'm fearful of. And have somebody else break it down, journal it, write it down, but like get it out, first of all, because in our minds, it is often wrapped up into way bigger than it needs to be, than reality. I hope this episode serves as permission for you to achieve your most meaningful goals in 2021. You can find the full interviews on my Instagram page. And if you want to gain more clarity around your goals this year, sign up to receive my breakout plan on my website. I designed this plan to help you think through your goal achievement confidence, strategies, tracking, and accountability. With that, goal achievers, keep celebrating your weekly wins, noting your lessons learned, and identifying your priorities for next week so you can consistently progress towards achieving your goals. 
Thank you for listening to this episode. If you are feeling inspired and want to join the Goal Achievers community, visit my website to sign up and get connected. We can also connect socially on Instagram. Follow me at Meet Kristen Burke. Links are in the show notes. Don't forget to rate, review, and share this show. Until next time, Goal Achievers, keep progressing towards your goals and celebrate those weekly wins. 